Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 239, and today's guest is Seth Besmertnik, founder and CEO of Conductor. Companies strive to build a strong culture that will hopefully be the foundation for success. In the case of Seth, having a people-first culture is the priority, and it is why they operate with an upside-down org chart. When you think about it, the upside down org chart makes a ton of sense. Aren't leaders the ones who are ultimately working for their reports to do whatever it takes to ensure the success of each person in their position, which ultimately translates into the company's success? Another great example of Seth's leadership and the culture at Conductor is the fact that when the company was purchased back from WeWork in 2019, Every employee, which at the time was over 250, were granted the same class of stock and were all labeled as co-founders in the company. Seth and I start out the conversation with a deep dive on this topic of a people-first culture, and he shares lots of useful info about its benefits. Conductor is an organic marketing platform built for enterprise SEO content and web teams, powering the organic marketing revolution. The company recently announced $150 million in new funding at a $525 million valuation. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Seth's background story, including his first startup called MindMD, an online therapy website that was ahead of its time, the rise and fall of Link Experts, a link-building business for SEO that he co-founded, which ended up being the precursor to Conductor, a deep dive into Conductor and the value of its platform for companies, plus the details on its growth plans ahead, the story of their acquisition by WeWork in 2018, and then the buyback in less than two years later, advice on scaling hiring and culture at the same time, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, is your company hiring? If the answer is yes, then what are you doing to build up your company's employment brand? If you don't have a content strategy, then it's likely that you are just flying under the radar. The good news is that we can help. A subscription to VentureFizz includes a content playbook for sharing all the details on your company, people, and culture. We leverage all formats of storytelling, including video, podcasting, employee profiles, and so much more. Reach out to info at VentureFizz.com for more information. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Seth. Seth, thanks so much for joining us. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited because there's so much to talk about in this episode. Uh, I obviously spend a lot of time researching each guest before we jump onto the podcast. And I just discovered a treasure trove of information that we could talk about of your story of building companies and acquisitions, buybacks. There's so much going on. But one of the things that I took away from my research was um, your philosophy as an entrepreneur of uh, doing everything you can to take care of your people, which I think a lot of companies try to do the same or mimic an approach that is, hey, it's all about our people. We want to build a great culture. And then I think there's other entrepreneurs that take it to a whole different level. So um, talk about your philosophy around being a people first culture. And how is that a key differentiator when it comes to actually building the culture of conductor and why other entrepreneurs should do the same? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for thanks for the kind words. And and uh, there's a lot to unpack there um, about being people first and caring about people. And I think there's a very there's a there's a there's a significant amount of gradients as to from all the way from just saying things and not doing them to on the other end of the spectrum, it's like embedding your culture into your corporate structure, right? And making it like a legal thing, not just 
you know, not just part of the, how you run a company. Um, so there's a lot of different specters on how people centric you can be. And, and, and obviously in different points of time, you can ebb and flow. Our, our general thinking is that, you know, we're, you want to make a difference for your customers in a business, right? You start a company, you want to solve a problem. You want to make a difference for customers. Um, and the way to do that is it starts with your people, right? Your people make your products, your people make your service, your people are there to support your customers, to give, to fulfill on the needs of your customers. So if you first take care of your people, then this will be the, the, the primary way to take care of your customers. And ideally, if you have a business where helping your customers helps their customers or helps, helps the world some way, helps make something better, you can kind of get into this flywheel, which is like, um, I, you can help, pe- help your people, help your customers, help the world, and you know, do it all over again, right? And that's and that's like a, a general formula that 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 we tend to think about. And you, I mean, you, those examples of things you've done in the past, like giving people an extra severance, extending options, you know, uh, you know, when people are you know dismissed or fired, that you know it's you know things aren't ugly, right? So it just seems like there's a lot of things that you do to take care of your people that are actual factual things versus pretending that that's something that the company does. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I and I and I, and I don't I don't want to paint a picture that you that it's either pretending or not pretending, right? Like there's a lot of gradients, and I think every company is on a different spectrum of that, and 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 you know works differently. I I when I think about um, what I want to accomplish in life, and I often think about like my uh, you know what the obituary will say, what will say in my tombstone, what will I be remembered as, what will conductor be remembered as. You know, when you look at that, the for me, the path of getting to where you want to get to is is really just as important as the outcome. Um, uh, the path really matters. It's one of our values and our principles here. The path matters. And, you know, if you get to success, whatever that is for you, but you had to slash and burn and, you know, fire tons of people and ruin people's lives and create devastation and create pollution, right? this, you could still have success, but that's the wrong definition of success. Mm -hmm. Me, it's success is about rising up all, all stakeholders, um, of, uh, of, of, of an organization, um, your customers, your employees, your industry, your local communities, your investors. So for us, we're trying to figure out how we can build a company and make all of those functions uh, be there. And there's a lot that goes into that. And, and again, I do think it starts with your people. You know, your people make the impact. Your people make all the things. Like right now, Conductor, we have, we are, we're somewhere between like 300, 350 people. Every time we hire another person, that's, one, that's, that's less impact that I have individually or any leader has here. And it's about the people who make it go happen, right? When we, all the org charts at Conductor, I actually just went by the desk of someone who just joined our people team and I saw she was making an org chart. And I said, hey, all of the, we don't do org charts with the, with the leaders on the top here. The leaders are on the bottom. And she said, why? I said, well, who, who I said, we were talking about our chief people officer, Irene. I said, well, does, do you work for Irene or does Irene work for you? And she says, well, it's hard for me to say, but and I said, and I cut her off. I'm like, no, Irene works for you, right? She's here to help you be successful. And that's why the leaders are on, you know, the leaders on the bottom of the org chart. And that, that thinking goes into really everything we do, how we communicate, how we make decisions, how we compensate people, uh, how we run the organization, how we share bad news, how we share good news, how we share why we make decisions. And it's, um, 
it's treating people um, with a level of equality as like as a business partner, as a you know as a stakeholder. Um, I'll say one more thing. Uh, we do it. We do it. We do a town hall meeting every quarter since the company's existed, and and you know many companies may do these, but we put a lot of effort into them. They're two hours long and they're pretty incredible experiences. Um, and um, I always start them and I say, you all are the biggest investors in this company. Every one of you can go and get another job, maybe even making more money at another organization, but you choose to invest your number one asset, which is your time in this company. And we do this meeting so you understand how your investment is going, how like what you can do to make a bigger contribution on your investment, and to bring us together around how around around all of us as equals in building this company, and and that sort of is a is a is a is a symbolic sort of gesture about you know it's a good example of how we think about all all behaviors in the company. Wow, I love those. Like the, the, the org chart example is that's, that should be a, a blog post in itself. Why your org chart should have the leaders down below because they're working down for that team yeah. upside down. So, and the other thing we're not going to talk about now, but we are going to talk about is like with, with the buyback, there's over 250 employee co-founders in the company now, which is just how that all came together. It's such a cool story. So, but let's yeah. rewind the clock. So um, like, where'd you grow up? What were you like as a, as a child? Uh, yeah, I, I, how I remember my childhood, uh, I, I grew up, um, in a suburb of New York city. Um, and, uh, you know, I lived there until I was about 17 and then I've been, I've been, I'm 39 now, but I lived in, I moved to Manhattan when I was 18 and, um, I was generally, uh, the, 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 the bad kid, right. That was, I think a simple way of saying I was, um, kicked out of schools. I was suspended. I was told, you know, my, the teachers were told my parents that I needed to be, you know, medicated or to be put into different programs. Um, um, the, uh, I was, uh, you know, frequently in the principal's office, uh, having police show up in my house. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of chaos in my life and in my sort of, and I sort of was a, was sort of a bouncing force in that. Um, I did, I did, I think I, I had this great motivation, I think. Um, and, uh, and I did like when I turned 14, literally the day I turned 14, I got my working papers. A couple of days later, I was at McDonald's and I was like, I'm sitting there, you know, interviewing for a job. My, you know, people went to camp. I worked at McDonald's, you know, people eventually, like I worked full time as much hours as I could until I graduated high school. And then when I went to college, I, ended up going, I worked full-time through college and I went to school at night. So my schedule was get to work at 8.30. I was the youngest employee at the two companies I worked for in the whole organization. Um, I would get to work at 8.30. I'd punch out at like, you know, 5.30, get to school at six, classes from six to 9.40. Um, and I did that, you know, Monday through Friday. And then I didn't have school on Friday. So that was kind of a day off. Um, just went to work and I just, I worked hard. And, um, and then by the time I was done with college, I was like, I guess I had, I had these, I had these pretty subpar experiences in the, in the working world. And I think I was, I, I think my personality is one not to just take the path of, you know, of, of least resistance. And also to, I, I don't like to do anything anyone else does. Like my friends got the camp. I got it. I, I, you know, I got jobs. My friend went away to campuses. I got full-time employment. My friends were, 
getting their first girlfriends. I was getting married. You know, my friends were getting married. I was having, I was, my kids were already five plus years old. You know, I always wanted to be different. Um, the, um, and, uh, but I, I got really motivated to not to be an entrepreneur and not be, you know, working in an organization my whole life as an employee. But part of that was because the companies that I worked for were so, were such poor experiences. The cultures were so terrible that that was my only thing I knew. And I just was like, I can't do this for 25 years. So I was like, I got to do something on my own. And also that was partially why we wanted to make Conductor a great place to be because of those poor experiences that I had. So long answer to your question. Well, all I'm hearing is grit, right? And that's such a you know work ethic and grit. Like that's so important. Um, and those are traits that I'm making sure that I'm trying to instill into my children. So I have two, two girls in high school. So it's a, uh, Work ethic and grit are so critical. Now, your first startup was ahead of its time, be very fundable today, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. It was like yeah. online therapy, video, like somehow yeah. weaving in very so. So, talk about that first idea. Yeah, so I was uh, I was at a um, like a kind of like a bar nightclubish kind of a place called Session Seventy Three on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and uh, my one of my closest friends at the time, a guy named Blake Levine, he was a social worker, um, is a social worker. And uh, he was telling me about how, you know, all these people need help, but they don't really ever get help. And it's the statistics are pretty overwhelming. It's, I think it's um, two out of three Americans suffer from depression or anxiety. However, one out of five of those two out of three um, ever seek professional help. Um, so- oh. So that's, um, you know, about roughly half the population has some kind of problem, but never gets help. And, um, and the idea for that company, which we ended up calling MindMD was to give, to provide an easier, lower friction way to getting, um, access to therapists, right. And, uh, on the phone, over email, over chat. And, uh, I worked on this business for a while and, and it was interesting. Everyone thought I was crazy and, I had no experience. I really had no money, and um, it was an unregulated market, and uh, and I it was a real uphill battle. And uh, real, I mean, beyond I cannot just well, there was no interest really in the market. And uh, at the same time, my roommates uh, were living on top of a bike shop on 34th Street. He went from being um, a guy named Jeremy Du Bois. He went from being uh, on unemployment. Uh, to all of a sudden making like thousands of thousands of dollars a day and all this cool stuff started showing up in our apartment, like electric drums and crazy TVs. <laughs> and he had figured out how to show up really well in Google. So he, his websites ranked number one, two, and three for the word business cards. And for context, this is what, 2004, five? Yeah, right around there. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, yeah. 2004, 2006. So so I think this is around the time, like, I think people were starting just to use Google. Like, I don't know if my dad was using Google at that time, but, um, but it was, it was a thing, right. For sure. Um, and, um, I, we started a little side business and that side business was, uh, to help people put links on their websites to rank higher in search engines. And one thing led to another. And all of a sudden I had companies calling me up saying, Hey, we got, we got $50,000 a month give me everything you had. And we only had like $200 a month worth of inventory. That was the most I can sell. I think it was Vonage. <laughs> Vonage was one of the first companies to call. Um, and, uh, and we, um, 
And, uh, but then I realized like, okay, I got one business where no one wants to talk to me. People don't return my phone calls. It's all this legal regulation. And then I got this other business where I got folks calling me up, throwing money at me. And we decided to pivot and, and ultimately end the MindMD business and start uh, the business that ultimately became Conductor, but at the time it was called Link Experts. Right, so this was um, quality link building to help companies rank higher in Google's search rankings. Yeah, essentially. So there's this phenomenon where at the time, uh, really big companies like a Microsoft, they have these gigantic websites. And that means all the products that they sell are deeply in their website. They're not on their homepage because the homepage is all about Microsoft, right? It's a, it's a portal almost. So what we, what, there was this phenomenon where um, when you Googled some kind of product, like for example, if you Googled Exchange Server or Microsoft mm -hmm. Exchange Server, Microsoft's website didn't show up. All the companies that were pure play Exchange Server resellers would outrank Microsoft. So what we did was we partnered with big publishers like Forbes.com and PC Magazine, and we would help them, we would give them an opportunity to, to link directly inside the deep pages of Microsoft's website. And that would help the search engine crawlers find those pages and therefore they would rank higher. And ultimately like, and I, you know, you learn a lot in building companies, but when you're, you know, 22 and you're starting a company, you don't, you don't, you know, you're not, you kind of get your calculator out. You can think about if you can make money, you know, and, and that was sort of how we thought about it. But ultimately it was a, it was a very short term problem that Google had, right? It was not, it was like a sort of arbitrage of time. Um, and over time, you know, that became something that was not necessary. Like even today, like it's not really net, that's not a necessary thing in the world because the search engines are good at crawling websites. You don't need people to go out and get links to go and do that. So, which, yeah. So this was a relevant solution based on that error of helping like a Microsoft rank where they should rank for their own products. But these, this industry still exists today because running venture fizz, we publish a lot of content and I get three to five emails a day from different companies looking to sponsor links on venture fizz, which is, I'm just always like, sometimes they're actually relevant, but I'm like, why would I do that? I mean, I guess it's this, the, the monetary piece, but I'm like, I still feel like it's would give them a false like recognition for the search credibility that we've built. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a little surprised to hear how how that how that's still happening. I mean, on our side, like the, our link building business was kind of crash and burn. I mean, it was it was pretty. I mean, that, we've I've, I've I've gone through a lot of devastation in this process of building a company. Not a victim, but I definitely uh, have gone through. You know, we've gone through some stuff, and we built that business up to like a twenty five million dollar business, and in a short amount of time, it went down to less than 10 and, and is now a zero, right? And um, and that's that's for a lot of reasons, but I'm surprised that that's still like as valuable, but you know, for those who are listening, the search engines use links as citations, right? To, to, to as endorsements. And um, when, you, when you put a link in a piece of content to someone else, you're endorsing them, you're giving them credibility. And that's still a factor that is used to determine how a website ranks. It's a much, much smaller factor than it used to be, but it is a factor. So everyone's looking for an edge to try to show up in a search engine. Being Showing up in a search engine is like, 
it's a modern day, uh, you know, treasure hunt, right? Like it's the pot of gold, right? You show up there, that's where all the customers are. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, if you can link to someone that can help them. So, so you know, I'm, I'm a little surprised, but, but, not, but maybe not that surprised. I mean, it still has an impact. So how did you eventually come up with the idea of, of conductor? Yeah, so it, it, I look back at things and I don't know how I had the, I, I'm, 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 I don't think I was impressed with myself at the time, um, but I, I guess I am a little now thinking backwards because we had this business that was this growing link building business. And I always, I, we never, we raised VC money pretty early and the link building business was not like a VC kind of company, right? It was like a good, it was a good business to be like, Hey, let's look at how much we have at the end of the month and let's spread up the profits. I never did that. I've never even taken up a profit ever from the company um, uh, since then um, or ever. And, um, but what we found was that when we were helping these companies build links to their websites, they didn't know anything about how they got, they like were performing on the web. So for example, they knew a lot about when someone got to their website, how do they, how do they get eyeballs? Um, how do they, sorry, how do they, how, like, how do the visitors do on their websites? So are they clicking on these pages? Are they converting? But when it comes to how people find them on the web, when someone searches in Google, when someone looks in YouTube, when someone's just on the web, they're not on the website, they had no visibility into this. So we thought, well, if we can create a system that crawls the web like Google does, but instead of building a search engine, we can build like an analytics platform to people to understand how, what consumers are finding on the web, that this would be super interesting. And uh, I basically, after work every day, I, I, I had a designer come and we, we basically built a sketch of a software platform that was a PDF file that, um, that, uh, that um, represented this product. It was like a clickable PDF prototype. Um, today, there's like software applications that do that, but we used PDF at the time. And, uh, and then we brought customers in and we're like, hey, check out this product. And they're like, and I'm like, would you buy it? And they were like, yeah, if you built that, I would pay for it. We would sign up for that right away. We did about 15 of those. And eventually I brought Amish Johnny in from Firstmark to, to sit in on one of those email, on one of those meetings. He was pretty impressed and he saw all the notes from the other ones. And he's like, let's start building this thing. So we, I think we put in a couple million bucks into the company. We started hiring engineers. And then we started having this like side business in this growing link building business that we were working on. And uh, it all worked out because, you know, the, the, we ended up selling the link building business for pretty much nothing. But we had this new product that we were working on that became a conductor. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, one thing led to another. but it was hard. I mean, it's hard to go from starting a business to shutting it down to starting a new one then starting another one, getting it to 25 million, then selling it for nothing and then starting a new company. Um, so it was, it took a lot of, uh, it was a lot of disappointment to get, to get through that, but we didn't, we, you know, we, I'm looking at the sign behind you, you know, who never gives up. I mean, this is our anthem, right? Like you just get up the next day, you come back and, and, and survival will lead to, you know, thrival. Well, what I picked up also was uh, one of your favorite books is The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which, I mean, that's just such a great read. Every entrepreneur, if you have not read that, I'm sure most have, but if you haven't, you it's, you have to, it's required reading. Yeah, Ben Harwitz, he definitely speaks uh, to entrepreneurs. Yeah, because it's always like this glamorized ramp up to exit to glory. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that does happen on occasion, but for the most part, 
it's a struggle. The struggle is real people. So, uh, so now with this new version of what you're building, you know, conductor, um, so you were actually building this when the financial crisis happened too, and you had to raise money during that time. So that must've been very challenging in itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's always like one thing after the next, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, we were raising money and it was, we went from a company that was pretty much profitable, breaking even. And then we started spending all this money to build out this software product called Conductor. So we were now losing a lot of money and we needed to raise money. And at the time, you know, so we went out and the day we had our first meeting, I think it was with uh, Chris Moore at Redpoint Ventures. I think, I think that's, I think that's the meeting was. And I remember it was the day Lehman Brothers was, um, was uh, got, you know, shut down. And I remember like reading the news and everything. And then I had to get on this meeting and, and ask for $10 million. And um, we ran like the winds and we, we spoke to a lot of VCs and we actually ended up getting four term sheets. It's actually, that ended up being the most successful fundraising process. We had successful, actually successful in that we, in, if success is defined by having the most amount of offers, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because all of our financings have been good, but we didn't ever have four offers ever again. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we, we took a deal with matrix and, uh, you know, and, and, and we were opposite races building the product, but we did, we did screw up a lot after that. I mean, we, a lot of it comes down to focus, right? So when you're, we were, we were trying to build this new software product that was like greenfields, first of its kind, no precedent for it. And I hired a, experienced CTO and experienced head of product to go and build it. And I was really not focused on the product like a founder normally would be building a software company. And we ended up just, we ended up basically like wasting a lot of money and about a year and a half building a product that was kind of a piece of crap. And we ended up having, we ended up sort of, you know, parting ways with all the leaders we hired and then you know, selling off the link build, the link building business, and then getting really focused on the product, working with the engineers and the product managers closely. And then that led to the product starting to get better. And, but we, you know, we, the, the idea of like building a a software company as a side business where your founder who came up with the sort of vision for it was not involved day to day. Like this was a bad recipe for success. Um, And, and, you know, we, we paid for it. Now, eventually product market fit started ramping up and you grew aggressively. And um, there's so much to your story that I, I mean, we could spend hours talking about each phase, but I guess we got, we got to kind of fast forward a little bit because um, this company that lots of people know called WeWork was growing through astronomical proportions. And they had this platform called Powered by We that was acquiring these companies like they acquired Meetup, managed by Q. And then they acquired Conductor, which I I don't know if I remember. I, I remember thinking, I'm like, why is WeWork buying these tech companies? Um, so so I guess this was part of their master plan. But what was the thinking there? Yeah, well, let me. I, I'll I'll uh, one one thing I want to just share just before then that I think is important, and just for folks listening, especially if there's entrepreneurs. Um, I wrote a post called the Unconscious Ponzi Scheme. Um, and, uh, it's, it was the story, it was a story of conductor and, you know, we got the $10 million in ARR very fast. 
And then we got to 15 fast, but a little less fast. And then we really started to slow down. And what we learned was that, um, you know, we were very sales focused. Let's get the deal. Let's close the logo. And we, we use sales as a proxy for our success, selling deals. What we didn't use as a proxy for success was customer engagement, customer satisfaction, customer NPS. And eventually mm-hmm. customers started to quit and it really slowed us down. And, and, um, and, 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 and we eventually became a, a company that was, became hyper obsessed with the customer. And then we, we rolled, we, you know, I'm wearing a shirt right now that says customers first. I wear it every day as a reminder. And we became like every, we changed everything in the company to be customer centric, all the metrics, all the, all the ways we looked at things, how we drove our roadmap. And that became the beginning of us starting to go from, we were down all the way at like growing 10% a year. And then we went from 10% to 15% to 20% to 25% to 30% to 40%. So accelerating year over year growth. And, um, and that was right around the time as things were going actually the best they were ever going. And then we work, who is our biggest customer, they came in with sort of, I think an offer we couldn't refuse. I mean, even knowing all the things that happened, I, I would have, I think I would have done that deal 10 out of 10 times um, from where I was sitting at that time. And they came in and they said, Hey, we're building the world's biggest company. We're going to grow We're growing the fastest and any enterprise company in the world. And we're the leaders in physical presence for enterprises. And we want you to help our customers with digital presence. And we have this, this mission, which is to, you know, we want to bring, you know, bring elevation to the world. We want to, we want to, we want to, you know, we want to do good in the world. Right. And conductor's mission is to help turn marketing into a force for having positive impact. Marketing is a big category. It's a two and a half trillion dollar category. And, you know, Facebook and Google make most of their money in marketing and advertising. And the idea was to use the WeWork platform to build our business. So it was never to sell the company and do something different. It was like, you have this platform, you have all these companies using WeWork and we were just going to use it as a, as a mechanism to grow. And there was a lot of interest. There was, there was, there was some promise to the idea, but the, the hard part about it was that WeWork was so far behind from having like a solid core business. I mean, when we joined, they were doing like a hundred million in net new ARR on a monthly basis on spreadsheets. Not, wow. they weren't using a CRM system. So they had so much core stuff that they needed to do that the idea of focusing on conductor and helping conductor was on nobody's mind other than Adam Newman's. And mm. that resulted in us having basically zero integration with WeWork, zero support, zero integration, zero mindshare. Um, and, uh, and ultimately like, you know, that turned out to be a good thing because when we, when we bought the company back, you know, 20 months later, we had, we, it was literally just like snipping the umbilical cord for a baby, right? There was no, there was no connection, right? Um, maybe even more so than that. Like there was, there was just no connection and we just were back to our own selves, you know, very quickly. Um, so, but that was the idea of joining WeWork was to, you know, use the platform to go and ex- elevate our mission and, um, and uh, definitely would do it again if I had the choice, knowing what I knew at the time when I did the deal. So was it, uh, so we work, you had to start to divest assets and that's when the opportunity arose for you to buy back the company. Yeah. So I, I had the, you know, the first year at WeWork uh, was really exciting, right? We were, I mean, it was a roller coaster, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, they, uh, you know, we, we, they flew all of our employees out to like the outskirts of, 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 of the United Kingdom for a three day summer camp. And, 
it was all, it was, just, it was a, it was a crazy experience. You know, like everybody got a, everybody got a corporate credit card that had like, I don't know, like a 10 K spending limit. And as managers at conductor, we never even saw the bills. So people were just spending money. Um, and, <laughs> and like things were just happening. It was, it was a wild, it was a wild time. Um, but we had our best year ever in 2018. And a lot of that was due to the draft of the, 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 all the work that was going into when we sold the business, the company was doing really well. And I remember sitting there and I was so excited about our growth. We had the highest growth rate ever in the company history. And I remember sitting there and we were going in for our business review to talk about our results with Adam Newman and a bunch of other people. And I remember feeling so upset after that meeting because basically the the short version of the how that meeting went was no matter how fast you grow your company is so small it will never have an impact on our business mm, and, and what adam would awesome say to me was seth you're wasting your time working at conductor you should come help me with we work and to me I, I that was really that became like a hard a hard place for me to be because i didn't want to leave conductor and I, but I also felt like no matter what we did here, it didn't matter. So I used some of that energy to write like a culture book, which I'm showing here in my hand. And I write it, we wrote a culture book because that was what we thought would be a way to maybe contribute towards WeWork since our revenue didn't matter. But it also became the beginning of me being like, I don't know if I can do this job. Like I can't, it's hard to just put on a fake face every day when, I, when I'm like, I'm a fiduciary by heart. I want, I care about WeWork. We're all WeWork shareholders, but what I'm doing doesn't matter. And it's just, it's, it just was a conflict for me. So I told him, I was like, we should get conductor out of here or we need a different leader to run this company because I, I can't do this. You know, it's like, it's like, and that, and then, so there's an agreement that we would eventually spin the company out post the IPO and, and it would help be part of WeWork's narrative of focusing on their core business. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, and then things started to go south with the IPO and, and we went from spinning out the company in like maybe a private equity situation or with a competitor or something to, um, to, uh, you know, I, I came in with an offer and I said, I want to buy the company. Like this is our company. The people should own it. And, uh, we were able to pull it off and, and, and get the company out and be an employee, a fully employee owned company. And that was like a, a miracle. Um, but, but, uh, but it was a lot of that miracle was due to the hard work of all the people and, and, it's a good, it's a great example, maybe one of the best examples of how taking care of your people, doing the right thing, being credible as a leader, delivering on your promises, taking care of people, how all those things can come back to pay you back in the best way. Because if we didn't do all that, people would have t put themselves first. They would have got new jobs and conductor would be nothing more than just a, a, a you know, a memory over drinks during happy hour. And this ties in perfectly to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, where there's over 250 employee co-founders of Conductor as part of this buyback. Yeah, so I, I, you know, this is the second time that we created a group of co-founders. Actually, the third time. When we started the company, Jeremy and I were the two co-founders. Um, then, then, um, then, then when we uh, sold the link building business and we were starting Conductor, we had 40 people. And I was like, we're all co-founders. We all, like, I didn't come up with the name conductor. I didn't write the first line of code. I didn't make the first sale. 
it was all the people who weren't there. So I'm like, we should, we're, we all are co-founders. So let's take advantage of that. So we had a whole ceremony and we gave everybody co-founder stock and, and, and we put it on their business card. And we, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't say, Hey, you're a co-founder. You got to work harder. We just said, you're a co-founder, put it on your, put it on your LinkedIn, do whatever you want with it. But then when we bought the business back, it was, it was that moment all again. We literally started a new company. The company was called Conductor Founders Inc. We filed it with the government and we started a new company and we made everybody a, a, a shareholder as a co-founder in the same way I'm a shareholder. I got shares, everybody got shares. We all got the same exact stock. We structured the company in a way where it was, a, it was still a, a corporation, but it was set up in a very cooperative manner where everybody was a, was a, was a equal shareholder, equal in rights, equal in what they own. Not, not, you know, everyone owns different amounts of equity based on their role and their contributions. Um, but we made everybody a co-founder. And uh, I'd say it's, I mean, it's probably the largest group of co-founders to ever, uh, you know, start a company before. Uh, agreed. Like I, when I heard the story, I'm like, wait, what? I've never heard of something like this. And this just speaks to the culture first mentality, the people first. Right. Um, so bring us up to speed on, on the company today. Like what, like what, what's, what's the core of what the platform does for customers? Uh, you announced funding recently. So what's the latest? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's uh, we bought the company back in December of 2019. And I know this, you know, this I've been, I've spoken a lot about um, struggle and difficulty and I, and I do think, part of the, being the entrepreneur, you know, being entrepreneurial, right. It's, it's about overcoming and it's about, you know, committing to your destiny of, of being successful. Um, for us, we, we have had the good fortune of being in a great business and a business that is actually becoming even a greater business. So what we do at a high level is there's uh, there are um, there's two and a half trillion dollars spent on marketing in the world. A lot of that money is actually spent on trying to buy someone's attention. TV commercials, radio ads, magazines, billboards, pop-up ads, banner advertising, all of that. We're all familiar with all that stuff. However, human beings, you, me, everybody else, the internet has presented choice to all of us. We get to choose what we want and we get to avoid the things we don't want. You buy Netflix, you sign up for Netflix, you see no ads, you go on YouTube, you hit the skip ad button, you're on Spotify, you don't hear the commercials. You're on the internet, you see what you wanna see, you avoid what you don't. So what does this mean? This means marketing has to change significantly. Now, on the flip side, people have become hyper-dependent on technology to do every single thing in their life. When you ask the average person by noon, by noon on a given day, how many Google searches they've done that day, I mean, you're talking two, three, four, right? Um, how, you know, how do I do something? Where should I go for this? What's the best this? What do you think about this? Should I get a booster shot? You, you're, you're asking, everything. You don't make any decisions, B2B, B2C, uh, family decisions, life decisions, big decisions, short decisions. Now you go to Google, you go to Alexa, you go to YouTube, wherever it is. They don't actually give you the answer. They just connect you to the answer. The folks who give you the answer, it's nonprofits, content marketers, it's businesses, it's corporations. So what we do at Conductor is we help companies understand what people are searching for, and how they can best use that insight to, to create the best content and to make sure they're the ones who get found. We help companies use all their knowledge and their wisdom to be to manage the process of getting found in all the unpaid channels. So when you're when there's a customer looking for what you do or a problem you sell, how do you get found by them? And we have a software platform 
that large companies use to manage this whole process because they have teams of people who do SEO and content marketing and merchandising and digital optimization. They use our technology to go out and, and, and uh, you know, manage their, their visibility. And I mean, it's your tagline is the you know number one organic marketing platform, and it's like like organic is just that's that's where it's at. I mean, you could pay, you could spend, but as soon as you stop spending, it just dries up. It's 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 crazy, and it's getting to spend on paid search or any of the social platforms. It's getting so ridiculously expensive. Yeah, and you're at the mercy, right? It's like we saw this during the pandemic. I mean, a lot of companies were peeling back significantly on their paid spend. And the ones that had made investments in organic over the last five years, they were doing well because they were able to take back their paid spend and, and still get visitors coming to their websites every day without having to pay for them versus the ones who made no investments in their, in their web, you know, their organic presence. And those companies were, if they, if they stopped their advertising, they went to zero and, uh, you know, it was a real difference between the, you know, you really felt the, the value of, of what companies were doing in terms of investing. So you recently announced 150 million Series A, you know, because it's a new company, but there's obviously a lot behind the Series A. So uh, so what, what's the plan ahead? Yeah, it's a Series A with an asterisk. Um, the, um, yeah, it's a beautiful transaction. Uh, it's actually my first time talking about it. Um, um, where uh, I, I couldn't, we couldn't have, Kind of crafted it any better, and and it's and it's we're really excited about it um, for many reasons. Um, one is that it's incredible validation in our industry. It's maybe the biggest or top three biggest uh, deal to ever occur in the whole organic marketing space, um, uh, content marketing, SEO, all, all of these categories. It's a big. It's one. Of the, it's one of the biggest deals, if not the biggest deal. Um, so really good validation for our customers and for people who just. Anyone who said years ago, like being an SEO business or content marketing business, not, you know, there's, there's, that's not an investable category. Well, they're wrong. And, and it's good. It's good moment. It's good momentum for the whole industry. So I'm excited to share it with our customers in the industry. Um, it's great for our, for us because it gives us validation and it gives us uh, capital to go and pursue the mission. I mean, organic marketing is a giant category. Um, getting found in app stores, getting found in video search, getting found in Alexa, Soon Tesla will have a search engine getting found in your tech. Like there's so many places to be discovered and there's a lot of technology that needs to get built. So this will help us uh, pursue that vision. And then it also helps us with our culture. Um, you know, I, I'm all about delivering on promises. And, uh, you know, when we brought people into WeWork, we traded conductor equity for WeWork equity. And, and you know, folks were expecting, uh, a, you know, to have an IPO and, and to have some monetization, you know, money for their families. Um, that didn't happen. And when we, when we created the new company, you know, we said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to give everybody this conductor equity. And we gave a lot of equity to, you know, a, people had 10 times more ownership than they did before we sold the business. And, um, and, uh, we said we would give people a chance to, to fulfill on that promise of having some liquidity. And this gives us the ability to do that. And it's perfect because there's some, you know, folks can have some liquidity if they want to, the, the people who work here and all of our shareholders. Um, but we had, we, we're still, we own the majority of the company. We have control of the company and we have everything we need to go and pursue the vision and our destiny. And we've got a great new partner, uh, Brooke Al Sage Mount, that's going to help us. And um, so it's, it's kind of a beautiful transaction and, and uh, 
we were all celebrating, you know, with a big thing in Times Square and uh, in front of the NASDAQ. And it was kind of an unreal moment. Yeah, I saw the Times Square takeover video, which looked like amazing and fun. So like, how does that all come together? Like, is that, are they doing that like every week now? Like, I always wonder, because I see companies posting on LinkedIn <laughs> doing that. I'll give you the, I, 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 it's a little less glorious when I tell you about it, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll share this. Um, but you'll see lots of companies on LinkedIn take these giant thing, like you can buy this giant thing in the, you know, front of the NASDAQ. Yeah. I thought this was something like the NASDAQ was doing to build relationships with like pre-IPO companies, right? Right. It's not, they they charge money for it. Um, okay. And uh, when I found out they charge money for it from a friend who had just done it, um, the founder CEO at Bluecore. And um, I was like, oh, this is not, I'm not doing this. And he said, listen, every one of your employees is going to go there. They're going to take a picture. They're going to post it on LinkedIn. It's, it's like such a great moment for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and for everybody that it's worth it. So we, we, you know, we paid a little bit of money and, and we were there and, and he was right. It was absolutely worth it. It's something nice to, to share, you know, here I got, someone actually brought this to me yesterday, but it's a picture of, uh, me oh, and that's my, awesome. my wife and my kids and, uh, and we're in front of it. And, you know, that picture is, is, you know, worth, worth is on, is invaluable to me. Exactly. Now, uh, you know, you talked about the size of your company and there's a lot of growth ahead as far as hiring. So one of the things that some entrepreneurs struggle with is getting to that next level of scaling hiring. Like you start to build a company, a team, it grows, but then you hit scale. So how do you control that scaling piece and combining that with your culture, right? It's hard to hire people, but having them you know, be part of that core culture that you've built too is another challenge. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I candidly, I mean, I'm, I'm still figuring this out, right? I mean, yes, we've figured it out up until this point, but we're still a small company when you think about, how, you know, how big companies can be. Um, I think what it comes down to is, is being clear about what you stand for and what you don't, um, being consistent with that your values and your approach to building your company um, and keeping that simple and then just being consistent about it over time. Like for us, one of our values is, you know, is, is transparency and it's um, treating people like, like equals. And no matter what has happened, we get on the, we get on with all the employees every Thursday and we talk about what's going on in the company when there's bad, you know, when bad things were happening, COVID was starting, I kept it real and I was honest. And I, you know, I think I scared the hell out of a lot of people with my honesty, but I was just telling people the truth. Um, and I think that over time that, that really builds your values and, and, and help become scalable. And then I think part of it is also is having this, making sure that your leadership is following these virtues and these values and having to make tough decisions when leadership's not coaching them, but Ultimately, you know, you can't say, hey, we stand for transparency and empowerment. And then you have leaders that are not transparent and don't empower people and are top down. Um, That doesn't work. So you have to coach those leaders and work with them. But ultimately, if they're not there, then then you have to make hard decisions and bring in the right leaders who do have the values because, you know, leaders are, are, are what defines, you know, very much the culture of a company. You're busy building a company, um, but when you do have time outside of work, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, I, I have a lot. I mean, like, I'm I, there's a lot of stuff I like to do. Um, 
I think, uh, I mean, one of them for sure is like spending time with my family, right? I've, I've got two daughters who are nine and 11. I've got an amazing wife and love to do stuff with them. Uh, whatever, you know, whatever they want to do or whatever I want to do, um, you know, doing, doing things with family. I think I've, uh, you know, you, my kids are still young, but you watch life go faster, right? Kids are a nice barometer for time and, uh, you realize it's finite and, uh, I think as I get older, right, I, I definitely value that even more and, and want to be there for everything and be, be a part of their lives and, and you know, be a good father. Um, I, I love sports. So I've become obsessed with pickleball in the last like two years. <laughs> so uh, pickleball is like this crazy sport that many people haven't heard of, but it's this like combination. Have you heard of it? Oh, of course. Yeah, it's everywhere now. Okay. Yeah, it's like a combination of like tennis and ping pong and I love it. So I like, I love playing pickleball and I would, I want to build like the first pickleball court here in Manhattan. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I want to build one. <laughs> um, and, uh, that's like a passion of mine, just playing sports and, and, uh, trying to just keep up with myself and then and doing learning, you know, reading books and just trying to get better. I mean, it's, it's fascinating how much there is to learn in the world. And I'm always interested in trying to figure out new stuff. And I think long-term for me, my, one of my passions is entrepreneurs, and, um, and I think as I get older and I think about like the rest of my life, you know, I helping entrepreneurs and spending time with entrepreneurs and, and, um, and, uh, you know, sharing my whirlwind of mistakes with entrepreneurs is definitely something I enjoy doing as well. That's awesome. Well, Seth, thanks so much for taking the time to walk through your background story, all the great stories along the way, as far as building conductor and, you know, all the twists and turns of what it's been like uh, being an entrepreneur. Yeah, my pleasure. This is a lot of fun. And thanks for, um, thanks for, thanks for giving me this opportunity. Really, really, uh, really enjoyed getting to know you and I appreciate what you do for the whole community. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.